If you would, open your Bible to Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4 this evening as we follow along in the life of Moses, we find that Moses is struggling with something that every God-called believer struggles with and that he has a list of reasons why he can't do what God has asked him to do. And the beautiful lesson in this chapter tonight is that Moses was equipped by God to do what God wanted him to do. And the lesson for you and I is that we have been equipped by God to fulfill the ministry he's called us to. Exodus chapter 4, verse 1, And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from before it. And the Lord said unto Moses, Put forth thine hand, and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand, and called it, and it became a rod in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. And the Lord said, Furthermore unto him, Put now thine hand into thy bosom. And he put his hand into his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous as snow. And he said, Put thine hand into thy bosom again. And he put his hand into his bosom again and plucked it out of his bosom, and behold, it was turned again as his other flesh. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe thee, neither hearken to the voice of the first sign, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe also these two signs, neither hearken unto thy voice, that thou shalt take of the water of the river and pour it upon the dry land, and the water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. And Moses said unto the Lord, O oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb, or the deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. And he said, O oh, my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well. And also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee. And when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. And thou shalt speak unto him and put words in his mouth, and I will be with thy mouth and with his mouth and will teach you what ye shall do. And he shall be thy spokesman unto the people, and he shall be even he shall be to thee instead of a mouth, and thou shalt be to him instead of God. And thou shalt take this rod in thine hand wherewith thou shalt do signs." And Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said unto him, Let me go, I pray thee, and return unto my brethren which are in Egypt, and see whether they be yet alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. Let's pray. Lord, once again, it is our sincere heart's desire to draw near to you, to get to know you better, to understand what you have called us to, and how you have equipped us, and to step in to the fulfillment of all that you have for us 
in this time of ministry and in this time of history. Father, I'm afraid that the church has withdrawn and made excuses as to why we cannot do what you have called us to do. I pray that from your interaction with Moses that we would learn that you have already equipped us, that you've given us everything that we need, and that you can empower what we already have to be able to accomplish your will in this age. Father, I pray and ask that you would seal these things in our hearts, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as I was thinking about this text and what Moses is going through and, and the very fact that God has called Moses, we understand from last week that as Moses had spent 40 years in shepherd's school, that one day he saw a burning bush and he turned aside to see what it was and it was the Lord. And the Lord said, Moses, I'm calling you to go back and to deliver your people. And yet we know that God is sovereign. We know that God is uh, omniscient and he knows everything already. And he knows this encounter with Moses is going to go this way. And yet this is the guy that God taps to be the deliverer of Israel. But as I thought about that, I thought historically God has always chosen men and women to do his work on earth. As unreliable as we are, as imperfect as we are, as deficient as we are, uh, as unreliable as we are, God historically has always done that. Just think back through the history of civilization, think back through the history of the Bible. Uh, I'm astounded that when God created Adam, at, after he had created all of the other animals, he turned Adam loose to name every animal on the planet. Do you realize that, that that's what it says in the Bible and that whatever Adam called them, that's what they were called. I don't know if he's the guy who came up with the name of an aardvark or, you know what I mean? There's some, there's some funny sounding names out there that, that I'm just wondering, did Adam come up with those? Couldn't God have done a better job at naming the animals, the one who created them, than Adam? And yet God delegated that to Adam. God could have created the population of the world. He could have created thousands and millions of people just like he created Adam and Eve. But yet he only created one man and one woman and then he delegated to them the responsibility to be fruitful and multiply and to populate the earth. And he, he entrusted that to them, look, knowing that they're going to sin before they ever have the first baby and the first child that they're going to produce is going to be born with a sin nature. And every other offspring that comes from their line is going to need to be redeemed by the death of his son on the cross. And yet God chose those human beings. Did he not call Noah to be the one who carries on the human race to build the ark. And we know that Noah didn't have a perfect track record. After he got off of the ark, he did some questionable things that, uh, that uh, brought some shame on himself. When God wants to work in the world, he calls a man and a woman named Abraham and Sarah. And he says, I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to make a nation out of you. And we have the track record of Abraham. We know that it's not perfect. He calls Joseph and he uses Joseph to accomplish his plan. I mean, I just think through the history of the Bible, and I think that he used people like Ruth, Samuel, Esther, Jonah, of all people. He used Jonah to do his work 
Elizabeth in the New Testament, a woman who was past the age to have children, her and her husband had resigned themselves that they would never have offspring, and yet God chooses Elizabeth and Zechariah to be the parents of the forerunner of Christ to give birth to John the Baptist. God chooses Mary. Yes, she was favored among women, but she was not perfect. She was not sinless. Uh, God chooses men and women to do his work historically. That's what he did in the past, and that's what he does now. So we need to come to terms with the fact that, that we are not, we don't have to be perfect to be used of God because God didn't use any perfect people. Everybody that he used had their own set of proclivities and idiosyncrasies and insufficiencies. And so when we think about our role in the work of God, we need to understand that we're not disqualified simply because we don't think that we're the type of people that God would use. Somebody termed or coined this phrase years ago in church circles, and it stands true, God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. You see, God didn't call Moses because he was equipped. God equipped Moses because he had called him. God doesn't wait until you're fully rounded out in all of your theology and Christian maturity before he calls you into service. He called you on the day that he saved you, and he has been equipping you ever since for the ministry that he wants you to have. Moses is struggling with what every God-called believer struggles with. Moses is struggling with feelings of doubt and inadequacy. That's what we hear out of the voice of Moses when God says, I I'm calling you, I'm sending you. Moses says, oh, well, hold on a minute. I, you know, I'm just, uh, they won't hear me. They won't listen to me. They won't believe me that God appeared. And then when God answers that, well, you know, I'm just slow of speech. I'm not eloquent. I can't talk very well. And so he is struggling with these feelings of inadequacy and doubt. And I'm so thankful that God records that in Scripture because I think we all do that. That when we think about God using us, we, we think, well, I can't do that. I'm not as good at this as someone else is, or I am not very proficient at this, or people would never listen to me or give me an audience. And so because Moses has these feelings of inadequacy, watch what he does. He makes excuses as to why he cannot do it. You ever make excuses to God as to why you can't do it? You ever tell God why you can't? Well, I could never do that. I could never teach that Sunday school class. Well, I could never witness to that person. Well, I could never serve in that ministry. Well, I could never sing in that. I could never do that. And you're, you're telling God all the reasons why you can't do it because you feel inadequate. And so tonight, I, I want us to see this. There's, there's two objections that, uh, that Moses makes, and, and the first one is they, and the second one is I. And it's the same two categories that we all make when we are wrestling with the idea of doing something for God. We think, well, they, they don't want to hear me, or they would never follow me, or they would never be interested. And the other one is, well, I can't. I, I, I don't have this, I don't have that, I don't have the ability. Let's start with the infamous they. They. They says it in verse 1, Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me nor hearken unto my voice, for they 
will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. I want you to see what Moses is doing. I want you to just strip back the layers and say, what, what is actually going on here? And what is going on is that Moses is assuming to know something that he does not know. Does Moses know that they won't hear him? Does he know that? No, he doesn't know that. That's an assumption, is it not? He is assuming, he is assuming that because the first time he tried this, it failed miserably. And by the way, that's because the first time he tried it, he tried it in his power. He didn't try it in God's power. He tried it in his timing. He didn't try it in God's timing. He tried it in his ingenuity, not in God's ingenuity. He didn't fail because God failed. He failed because he failed to follow God's leading. And because he failed that first time, he assumes that it's not going to happen again. How many people do you think would actually be in any type of ministry today if they gave up after the first failure? I would say zero. Because we all fail. We all fail. And we all do what Moses does. We assume to know something that we don't know. He doesn't know that they won't hear him. He doesn't know that they won't believe that God appeared to him. He is assuming that. And I'm telling you, most of us talk ourselves out of any type of ministry because we assume something that we don't know. But that's not the end of the assumptions that Moses makes. Look at the further implications of this. Moses assumed to know something that God didn't know. <laughs> really? Well, who's he talking to? There's only two people in this conversation. It's Moses and it's God. And God has just said to Moses, I'm going to send you to deliver your people. And Moses says, uh, they won't hear me. They won't believe me. They won't believe that you appeared to me. Moses is actually assuming to know something that God doesn't know. Oh, God, I, I know you probably haven't thought about this, but I know these people really well. I lived with them for 40 years. I tried this once before. They're not going to listen. They're not going to believe. How audacious is that? And yet, I'm guilty of the same audacity. Lord, don't you know? What happened the last time we tried? Well, I tried to witness that one time, and you know how that went. Well, Lord, you know I tried teaching that Sunday school class that one time, and you know how that went. Lord, don't you know that this thing's not going to work? Furthermore, Moses assumed to know what others would think and do. Moses assumed to know what others would think and do. You realize... He hasn't talked to these people in 40 years, don't you? He hasn't had a conversation with them, yet he assumes to know exactly what they're going to think and what they're going to do. He assumes to, to believe that he knows what is in their mind. Listen, most of us aren't very good at listening to the words that come out of somebody else's mouth, much less reading their mind. Our communication skills are not the greatest, are they? I mean, people can tell us something straight to our face and we miss the point, and yet we will imagine or assume that we know exactly what people are thinking. I've told you about uh, the fact that, that there, there have been people in this church 
who said that the preacher was staring at them. And whoever they came to church with said, Honey, there's a screen on the back wall above your head that he's looking at when he sings those songs. Isn't it funny how we assume things? I, I've, I've seen misunderstandings among people, and, and I've had people come to me and say, Pastor, I, you know, I came into church, and this person, you should see the way that they look at me, and they won't speak to me and that sort of thing. And I dig into it, and I find out there's no hard feelings at all. This person is over here is assuming that that person is upset at them, and there is no, no feelings behind that at all. And yet we, we have an overabundance of assuming to know what people will think. And because of that, we won't do what God wants us to do. His assumptions, by the way, were wrong. Every assumption was wrong. What he assumed to know, he didn't know. What he assumed that God didn't know, God did know. And what he assumed people would think and do, they didn't do that. Every one of his assumptions were wrong. God answers Moses' objection. He answers Moses' excuse. He listens to Moses. They won't hear me. They won't believe me. They won't believe that you have appeared to me. And here's the answer that God gives to Moses. He doesn't argue with Moses, right? He doesn't say, listen, Moses, they'll listen to you. You know what he says? Verse 2, and the Lord said unto him, what is in thine hand? Well, that's an odd way to answer these questions. He answers a question with a question. They won't hear me. They won't believe me. What's in your hand? A rod? A stick? A shepherd's staff? And God tells him to throw it down. He turns it into a serpent, and Moses gets scared and runs away. I think that's one of the funniest scenes in the, in the Bible. It doesn't tell us, but I know that that second one when he said, put your hand in your bosom and pull it, and when he pulled it out and it was covered with leprosy, it says he put it back in and he plucked it out the second time. Like, you know he is having an anxiety attack about that. But here's the point. The point is, God can take what you already have and empower it. Moses already had a shepherd's staff. He'd been carrying that shepherd's staff for 40 years, perhaps. I mean, it's been this rod that he's leaned on. He's used it to guide sheep. He's used it to leverage sheep when they've been stuck in the mire and the muck. He's used it for different reasons, maybe to fight off some predators or keep some things at bay to clear brush back when he's crossing a stream or something of that nature. I mean, this is just something that he hasn't thought about. This is just an old rod. It's just a piece of wood. It's just a stick that he's been carrying around for years and God says hey what's in your hand what do you already have Moses I can use it isn't that a great lesson you see because you and I come before God and say well I can't they won't believe me don't you know what they're thinking and God says look I've already equipped you what's in your hand God took that rod and did something with it that Moses never could have done. He did something with it that no human being could have done. Yet it is the same rod that Moses has been carrying all of these years. God can use what you already have. Not just what's in your hand. Watch this. But he can use your hand too. 
The first question was, what's in your hand? And it was the rod, and he throws it down and becomes a snake. The second time, he says, put your hand in your bosom. And when he pulls that out, that's when it's covered in leprosy, and he puts it back in. You know, the amazing thing about God is that God can use not just what he has given you, but God can use you. And God gives Moses a guarantee that they will hear him and believe him. And he says, and if, by the way, Moses, they don't believe you, and if they don't believe the first sign, and if they don't believe the second sign, then here's a bonus third one I can give to you. Listen, God is inexhaustible when it comes to his power and resources that he can use through you. See Moses for what he is. He's not a superstar. He's not a world leader. He's a lowly shepherd who's 80 years old. And he's been on the backside of the desert for 40 years on the lamb, hiding out from the high orders of Pharaoh because of what he did back in Egypt. And he is the man that God calls and says, Moses, I am calling you into my service. And when Moses says it won't happen, God says, listen, I've already equipped you. What you have in your hand, the very hand that you have, the life experience that you have. And I say the same is true for you and I. I say it's true for you and I. God has called us to his service. God's called us to his service. You and I have to understand that, that the call to follow Christ is a call to service. Jesus said to his disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It goes together. It is inseparable. This call to follow Christ is a call into ministry. It is a call into service. You and I have been called and just like Moses, Moses had a message of deliverance that he was to take to this people who were in bondage. He was the one that had a message of deliverance from God to set his people free. And you and I have a message of deliverance. It is called the gospel. It has been entrusted to you and I. And we have been commissioned to go into all the world to preach the gospel to every single person. And yet we do what Moses does. They won't hear me, Lord. They won't believe me. They won't listen to me. Am I right or am I right? Why don't you witness to your neighbor? Why don't you witness to your coworker? Why don't you witness to your brother? Why don't you witness to that person that God's brought across? You tell me why you won't witness to them if you won't witness to them. And you'll find you're saying the same thing Moses says. They won't hear me. They won't believe me. I tried witnessing to them one time, and you know they got mad and told me they didn't want to talk about that. Well, do you know that's the last offense a lot of times? People will put up a big guff and get upset and threaten not to talk to you ever again if you talk that Jesus stuff to them. And a lot of times, they're just about to cave. That's the only last resort that they have to keep from falling under the conviction of God. And I believe that God would say to you and I the same thing that he said to Moses. What's in your hand? What's in my hand? Yeah, what's in your hand? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 with me if you would. You see, when we move into the New Testament and we look at the ministry that God has given to you and I, 
we find out that God has already equipped us for ministry. He has equipped every single one of us for ministry. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is giving the Corinthians a little bit of scolding when he says now concerning spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Don't be ignorant about the fact that there are such things as spiritual gifts and that God has given them. You know that you were Gentiles carried away under these dumb idols, even as you were led. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus a curse, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Now, there are diversities of gifts but the same Spirit, and there are differences of administrations but the same Lord, and there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. Look at 1 Corinthians twelve seven. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. You might want to underline to every man. There is not one Christian who has ever lived, who did not have a spiritual gift from God. Not one. Every single one of us, the very moment that we got saved and received the Holy Spirit of God, He came with a gift set into our life. And He brought us the gifts that God wanted us to be able to use and to resource. And when you and I stand before God and say, well, I can't do this ministry and I can't do that ministry, I'm not equipped to do it, God says, what's in your hand I have already given you the gifts that you need to do the ministry that I want you to do. Romans chapter 12 lists seven of those spiritual gifts. They range in everything from teaching to giving to showing mercy to exhorting and administrating. I'm telling you, God thought of everything when he organized this institution called the church and he equipped every single one of us for ministry so that every member ought to be a minister. I believe that every one of us ought to be serving the Lord in some capacity. I'm going to let you in. I'm going to let you in on a secret. You can do more than you think you can. You can do more than you think you can. You see, God has equipped us, and God uses the things that we already have. God uses the things that we already have. What's in your hand? He says to Moses, all I've got is this old rod I've been carrying around as a shepherd. Do you know what you have? You have the experience of your own salvation. You got saved. You came under Holy Spirit conviction. You heard the gospel. You realized that you were a sinner. You came to faith in Christ and Christ alone as your only Savior. It doesn't matter if you don't know one Bible verse. All you have to do is use what God already gave you. Use your testimony. I'm telling you the greatest tool that we have outside of the gospel itself to witness to people is our own personal testimony. Tell somebody else how you got saved. It is my favorite way to witness because I can work that into a conversation very easily. 
I mean, I don't have to pull out a Bible or nothing. I can just I can just say, hey, let me tell you about how I came to Christ or I didn't always go to church. I'm telling you, the conversation always works around where I can explain to that person how I got saved and how I came to faith in Christ. And it opens up the door to be able to fulfill the responsibility that God gave us to feel to witness to other people. We just need to stop assuming that they will not listen to us. I mean, if we could come away with anything tonight, if we could come away with anything, if we would just stop assuming that everybody out there doesn't want to hear about the gospel that you and I have received from Christ, we would see many more people come to know the Lord. Moses had to get over that. But then after God answers that, with the signs and with the guarantee, Moses is not empty of excuses. So he says in Exodus 4.10, Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant. That, that's kind of humorous to me because God just started speaking to him in chapter 3. And Moses says, you know what, Lord, I, I don't have a history of eloquence and I really haven't felt anything happen in these few minutes that you've been talking to me. It, nothing's changed. I can't do this. I can't speak. I, 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 I'm, I'm slow of speech. I, I'm slow of tongue. You know what this is? This is what I call the inadequate I. Moses says, I am not and I cannot. I am not and I cannot. How many Christians suffer from the inadequate I? When we get over the fact that there are some people out there that would listen to us or not everybody's going to reject us, the next excuse we have is, well, I can't do this. I'm not able to do this. I'm not sufficient to do this. I, 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 I just can't do it, Lord. I'm inadequate. I love God's response. Uh, actually, the, the Lord reminds Moses that he's the one who made the mouth. He's the one who made people be able to be able to speak or not, to hear or not, to see or not. Um, and then he tells Moses this, I, I'll be with your mouth. I will be. The one who made it will be with you. A preacher of old once said and was famously quoted, God and you are a majority anywhere you go. He was the president of a Bible college and he was encouraging his young preachers to go out and start churches and go into communities and preach the gospel. And with all the fear and trepidation that would come with going into a place and feeling like you're outnumbered, he said, God and you are a majority anywhere you go. And that's a true fact. You see, the Bible says that the God of the universe moved into our lives when we got saved. He said he would never leave us or forsake us. Jesus in the Great Commission says, And lo, I am with you all, even to the end of the world, to the end of the age. I am with you. Hey, Moses, don't worry about your speech problems. I will be with your mouth. I will loose your tongue. I will give you the words to say. I will do it. God said, you can't, but I can. Rely on me. You know what the problem is? Self-reliance. 
You say, how's that self-reliance? He's saying that he's can't. That's because he's only looking to himself. And when he looks within inside himself, he says, you know what? I don't have what it takes to do this job. And the secret is none of us have what it takes to do what God has called us to do. That's why we don't look to ourselves whether or not we can do it. We look to God. We rely upon God. The most frightening and most exhilarating things I've ever experienced in life is when I have had to rely on God to do what I knew I couldn't do on my own. Oh, it is scary, but it is exciting to say, you know what, this is an opportunity for me to see God work in a big way. I mean, maybe you absolutely get locked up with fear at the thought of giving the gospel to somebody. I mean, I understand that. I really believe that the forces of hell fight with all of its resources against Christians giving the gospel. I really believe that Satan has a strategy and he has executed it so well that he has nearly silenced the church. Why? Because we are scared to death to talk about the gospel. We can talk about anything else in the world, but we can't talk about that. We can argue about politics, but we are too timid to speak up and to share with somebody the greatest news that's ever been given, the life-changing, eternity-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. When, by the way, you and I are living proof that it works because somebody shared the gospel with us and we believed it and we got saved. And we were glad to hear it. So why don't we speak to others? Moses. Man, I'm telling you, for a guy who is timid, he's awfully bold with God. When Moses says, well, on this second excuse, I'm not eloquent, I'm slow of speech, I'm slow of tongue. God says, well, who made your mouth? Who made your tongue? Who can do this? I will be with you. Do you know what Moses says in verse 13? He said, Oh, my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. <laughs> That's a mile away from what Isaiah said when he said, Lord, here am I, send me. Do you understand? He's speaking third person. Well, Lord, I'm all for it. You've got my vote. You just send whoever you want to send. And isn't that how we operate a lot of times? Oh, I want to see the gospel going to all the world. I want to see church started. I want to see my dad led to Christ. I want to see the gospel given to this person. Lord, send somebody to them. When you're the one that God has placed in the closest proximity to that person, when you're the one who has the relational capital to be able to engage in that conversation about the gospel, you know, one of the things that's hard about giving the gospel is not having the bridge of a relationship to go across. We used to go knock doors all the time. When we were starting the church in Colorado, we, we would go out and, and uh, try to get uh, people from the church together and go out on Saturdays and just go knock on doors and just cold call. I'm telling you, old school cold calling Hi, I'm Justin. I'm from Glenwood Springs Baptist Church, and we're just out in your neighborhood inviting people to church. Do you have a church home? 
Oh, you don't? Well, let me invite you to our church. And then we would try to give the gospel to them. We knocked on every door in Glenwood Springs twice in five years. And I'm telling you, I only got to give the gospel a couple of times because I didn't have a relationship with those people. I was trying to go from zero to the most important subject in all of life with a cold call. You know what I found to be much more effective? Is to be able to give the gospel that God's already built relationships for. Those people that I interact with at work or those people that I see at the gym or those people that are in my family or that person that always waits on me at the grocery store that I've been able to engage and I get a little bit of a relationship with them and then all of a sudden now I have this avenue to be able to give them the gospel. Oh, I'm telling you. We're all, for, we're all for somebody giving the gospel to somebody else when it ought to be us giving the gospel to the people that God's brought into our path. God gets a little upset with Moses, but he gives him grace. Verse 14, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And uh, he just asked Moses, it's not Aaron the Levite, your brother. Well, I know he can talk. And by the way, he's on his way. You know what the takeaway is there? God says, you're not alone. You're not alone, Moses. I know that you feel inadequate. I know that you don't think that you can do this. And that even though I've given you the assurance that I will be with you, you are still afraid. Let me tell you what, you are not alone. Aaron is already on his way. Imagine that. That at this very moment when Moses sees this bush burning in the wilderness and he turns aside to see it and God from heaven speaks to him at that very moment, something had prompted Aaron in Egypt to pack up and to head out into the wilderness to go visit his younger brother Moses. And he is already on his way before Moses and God even have this conversation. Mo- Aaron is in route and what I say to you is that God will supply someone else to compensate your deficiencies God doesn't leave us alone God supplies what we do not have through others through others hey do you know about these spiritual gifts No Christian has them all. God scattered them around. Now, it's the same God that gave the gifts, but they're different gifts. And he gave you some, and he gave you some, and he gave you some, and he gave me some. Because he wants us to use them together to accomplish this. You know the only person who had all the spiritual gifts? Jesus. And when Jesus left planet Earth, he distributed those spiritual gifts among the body of believers because he didn't want any of us to be independent. He didn't want any of us to go it alone. God supplies what we do not have through others. God says to Moses in verse 16, He shall be thy spokesman unto thy people. He shall be even. He shall be to thee instead of a mouth, and thou shalt be to him instead of a God. And so 
Verse 17 reminds us or reminds Moses that he's not empty-handed, nor is he alone. Thou shalt take this rod in thine hand, wherewith thou shalt do signs. You know, while we have to respond to God individually, he never intended for us to go it alone. God is dealing with Moses individually, and God will deal with you individually. And individually, you and I have to have this conversation with God, and we have to yield our will to him and say, Okay, Lord, I will do it. And that has to be done individually. But God never intended for us to go it alone. Once this individual decision is made, then God brings you together with the people that he wants you to team up in. Just think about this for a moment. Think about the disciples. How many times do you read that in the New Testament? He called his disciples. The disciples went to Galilee. The disciples distributed the bread. You ever notice? It's always in the plural. You will will never, if ever, find Jesus with one disciple. He always had them together. The Apostle Paul never goes in ministry alone. He always assembles a team. I mean, that guy was so inspired by God that he had to have a thorn in the flesh to keep him from getting a big head for the abundance of revelations that were given to him. Isn't that what 2 Corinthians 12 says? Because of the abundance of revelations, I had a thorn in the flesh to keep me from exalting myself. I mean, that's how gifted that guy was. He is the greatest missionary who ever lived. He wrote half of the New Testament. He is responsible for planting churches on multiple continents, and he doesn't do it by himself. If Paul didn't do it by himself, why do I think that I should? try and do it by myself that's what the church is all about God created us as a body as a unit as a community so that we could carry out the work of God together God created a community and he equipped each member with different spiritual gifts so that we could work together to fulfill his assignment turn with me if you would to one other New Testament passage Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 is one of the passages that talks about spiritual gifts. There's three primary passages in the New Testament. It's 1 Corinthians 12, it's Romans 12, and it's Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 through 16. And in Ephesians chapter 4, as well as 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, while the gifts are given individually, it is always within the context of the body of Christ. And every time we are reminded that we are members one of another and that we are supposed to use these gifts in coalition with one another, for the building up of the body of Christ and for the fulfilling of the ministry. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for 
the perfecting or maturing or completing of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, drop down to verse 16, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Ephesians 4 makes it plain to you and I that we are each key components and that God gave me my gift and he gave you your gift and that we're supposed to bring those together in this ministry we call the church so that we can get the gospel out, so that we can bring people in, so that we can make disciples and so that we can continue this process of reaching the world with the gospel, reaching our community with the gospel and spreading that around the globe. Now, back to Exodus and we're done. For all of Moses' excuse-making and for all of the, the dialogue that God has to have with him, he settles it right here. He settles it right here. After the, the infamous they and the inadequate I, and God answers him and says, Hey, look, I've already equipped you, and you are not alone Look what Moses says, verse 18, Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said unto him, Let me go, let me go, I pray thee, and return unto my brethren which are in Egypt, and see whether they be yet alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. Once Moses realized that he had been equipped by God, he was good to go. He was good to go. I think that it's natural for all of us to have that struggle, that back and forth, that feeling of inadequacy, even that dialogue with God where we say, I'm not sure and I, I'm uncertain and I'm fearful and I don't think that I can do this very well. But once we see and hear from God that he has already equipped us and that we are not alone, then we should be good to go. And we, like Moses, ought to say, all right, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to step into this assignment. That's what we need to realize is that we've already been equipped. God's already given you the spiritual gifts that you need. And God has already has others to go with us so that we can go out and do the work that God's given us to do. So stop telling God that you can't and stop fighting to stay inside your comfort zone. You see, Moses was comfortable. He was a shepherd on the backside of the desert, and he didn't have to talk to anybody but his family and the sheep, and the sheep couldn't talk back. Man, I don't know. Sometimes that sounds like a good life, doesn't it? Backside of the desert sounds good to me sometimes when I'm overwhelmed and overstimulated. But the fact is, we fight to stay within our comfort zone. How long have you been in that comfort zone? Just ask yourself. I mean, this is revival, isn't it? We're almost done. I'm not going to give a long invitation. But I'm asking, how long have you been in that comfort zone? How long have you insulated yourself from telling somebody else about Jesus Christ? When's the last time 
you actually ask somebody about their soul's destination. When's the last time you shared your testimony with a lost person? When's the last time you attempted to give the Romans road to somebody and to seek to lead them to Christ? When was the last time? You may be 40 years out like Moses was. How much time do we have left? It's getting shorter. And we're supposed to be persevering. And persevering does not mean hunkering down and secluding ourselves from the rest of the world. It means that we blaze the gospel light all the way to the end. So let's get it. Let's get what God has. Let's accept it. Let's realize it. And let's put ourselves out there starting this week. Make that phone call. Set up that lunch. Reach out to that person who is on your heart that you need to give the gospel to. And let's take a step in that direction and see what God will do. Would you bow with me? Dear Lord, I thank you so much that you recorded in Scripture these interactions that you had with people like Moses because they're the same struggles that we have. It's so easy to see these things in the life of Moses and so hard to see them in my own life. And yet there is a clarity like a mirror when we look into your perfect law of liberty that it reflects myself back to me and I say guilty, guilty, guilty of the same thing. God help me, God help us to realize that you've already equipped us. Help us to stop making excuses. Lord, help us to realize we're not alone. We've got others in this thing together and that we can go out and do what you've called us to do. We can give the gospel this week. We can share our testimony with somebody. We can make a difference for you, Lord. Help us to carry that message of deliverance to the people that you've sent us to. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.